Welcome to the success scenario. I'm your host, Dustin Abrego. On the success scenario, we meet and hear from current LCC students, people just like you who face adversity, why they chose LCC and how they turn their situation into a successful one. I'm here with. Hello, my name is Jeremy Breton. And it is Jeremy's birthday today. So round of applause for everyone, right? 41 today. Oh, dude, congrats. Thank That's you. a great age. Um, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, you're currently a student here at LCC, right? Yep. In my third semester here. Okay. I started in the spring. Um, I moved to Lansing about seven years ago. Okay. I had to get away from Jackson. It was no good for me there. Mm -hmm. So I relocated here with $2 in my pocket and I was homeless. And I tried going to college when I first got here in the city, just stable roof wasn't over my head. So it was hard to get committed into studies. So it just never worked out until now where opportunities have come into play where I'm able to do things now. And it's a great feeling. That's huge. I mean, I feel like I even struggled with like if having internet or a laptop or things, but you're talking about, Hey, like I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight and things. That's really huge trying to navigate that but then you also wanted to go to college at the same time like what was your motivation to like get into classes and start taking things even if you like immediately moved here with like you said literally two dollars not sure where you're gonna sleep like a lifetime of regrets and doing the wrong making the wrong decision okay i figured that might as well make a right one okay so it's just been slow and steady uh here in lansing it hasn't been easy because i've mm -hmm. been homeless several times here sure um even got evicted during covid Oh my Which, gosh. That was a tough one. But I checked in to get some help mentally because mm -hmm. I was really mentally unstable. Now I'm on the right medications and stuff that sure. I'm able to focus. Sure. And not be all scatterbrained. Sure. Um, so it's not your first time at college. Uh, is LCC like your first school then that you've tried starting at then? or No, I went to Jackson Community College at first. It took a year off from high school. Mm-hmm. I had two for years coming straight out of high school because mm -hmm. my GPA was so high. Nice. But I was also had a job where I was making really good money. Mm. So I didn't last but maybe a half a semester, mm. dropped out, and then the company folded five years later. And then I got another job working at Spartan Chassis in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. I was building uh, military vehicles. Oh, wow. And they lost out in the military contracts, so I lost my job again. But that time they had the No Worker Left Behind Act. Mm hmm so I went back to college, and that time it was called Jackson College. They changed the name. Mm -hmm. And uh, I made it a whole semester. I just didn't keep pursuing it. Okay. I just wasn't mentally ready for it, I guess. Sure. So what do you think's changed for you? Because you said now that you're, like, in this place, and you have set yourself up for success in different ways, right? Like, having that system, um, being aware of, like, resources around you and things, uh, what was like the tipping point for you then that you were like, you know what now? Like, I know you said you had like lifetime of stuff behind you. What was that tipping point when you like got here and you're like, no, like this is, I'm doing this for me. Um, that's a good question. It was actually when I started to become more spiritually sound sure, and more mentally sound. Yeah. And, uh, just the reef, the focus is different. Mm. Um, I'm done self-sabotaging myself 
So I'm like, I want to keep, just keep moving forward. And if I stumble along the way, just get up and keep moving forward. So the tipping point was just being homeless all the time. And it's so hard to get things going when you're, like I said, worrying what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep. And it was that last time I was homeless, I was like, no, I got to get help. And it's been, it's been that ever since I've been getting help. So, and keep doors, keep opening. New people keep coming to my life, mm-hmm. such yourself. Cause <laughs> well, I've never had an opportunity like this and this is perfect to step outside my comfort zone that I'm normally, you know, yeah. shrouded with my brick wall. Yeah. Um, but it's good to let that down every now and then and just open mm-hmm. up. So, I want to ask you stepping outside your comfort zone. Where, where is that coming from? Cause I clearly don't understand like in the perspective of like where you've come from and stuff and your experiences unique to yourself, right? How does opening yourself outside your comfort zone help you? Um, Cause I feel like if people have faced like challenges and went through the things that you've been through that they would want to seek comfort, right? Cause they hadn't had that in a really long time. What is it about like, opening yourself up to new things like where what's that drive does that kind of make sense what i'm getting at okay the drive is uh because i've always been like a soul person like sure i didn't have a lot of friends sure um i always kept to myself mm-hmm. but that gets lonely sure uh you don't have nobody to open up to so the more i'm able to be open with people yeah. the, more, the more they're open with me mm. and it just becomes a mutual mm-hmm. friendship mm-hmm. so i'm I'm in the right place. This is that college here at LCC has been the only place I've ever felt like I actually fit in. And that's, and that's big for me because out of all my jobs, never felt like I fit in. Mm-hmm. I was always bullied, but here I'm giving opportunities. Like nobody makes fun of me. And, and if I do make a mistake, it's like, okay, or change this. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to take constructive criticism a lot better instead of being defensive all the time. Mm-hmm. And that just makes you an angled person when you're defensive all the time. Mm-hmm. I have I have a family member who's defensive all the time. So Gotcha. Okay. Um I did not set you up to say that, by the way, so everyone's aware, but I'm grinning like an idiot over here, making sure that like <laughs> um that fulfills me and makes me feel good that like you feel like you belong here. And that's an important aspect of like what we do because education's for everyone, right? right. Um but you said also a job. So you do work here? I work here as well. Okay. What do you do here? I work in the Center for Academic and Career Pathways. I set up appointments for the academic advisors mm-hmm. and answer questions when I can. Um, mm-hmm. not right. do, I get to answer right. all the questions because there's a whole plethora <laughs> of them. But I get right. to I get to learn mm-hmm. learn the system by teaching it to them. So it's it's a good job. It's First office job I've ever had in my life, mm-hmm. and it's I love not having to beat my body up where I can just I can use my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think um, about working and being a student? Because I feel like maybe initially when you viewed it, you were like, well, I need money. I'm here already. Let me do this. Do you think it's helpful to you, like working at the college and like being a student at the same time? Is it kind of just more challenging with time like uh it's definitely more challenging with time mm-hmm. but uh i love i love their um stance on student first mm. so 
if if I ever need time off, they were like, yeah, here, go do your homework. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've never had, I've always went to college, but I never worked at the same time. Sure. So I thought, let's try it. Mm -hmm. Um, I hear so many people doing it. So, Mm -hmm. and I know I can do it. So you feel supported being a student then while working as a student as well then? Oh, absolutely. Great staff I work with. I mean, everybody's great in that office. Um, you do a great job on the phone, Jeremy, for people that aren't aware, um, you do sit, I don't know, like 30 yards from me, like far enough that like, I can maybe hear you answering the phone if it's quiet, but like, um, so we do cross paths in that way, which is great that we had this opportunity to connect and, um, chat and whatnot. So, so you're at college, what are you studying? Where are you going? I feel like that's the question everyone always hits you with like, okay, so what are you, what are you going to do? Right. I'm actually studying the vet tech for the veterinarian technology. Okay. Um, but that could be changing. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I'm, All I'm right. In a psych class and I'm really starting to dig. Okay. So that's a whole nother, <laughs> whole nother thing of itself. All we'll right. just see how, how things go, you know, get my prereqs done, but I would love to transfer over to MSU cause they mm-hmm. got one of the best vet clinics in the world. Mm-hmm. So that is the plan for right now, but it's ever evolving. Cool. What is it about that tech program here or like working with animals? Like what, what do you want to do? What is it about like working with animals that you like? I just get a sense of just freedom. I'm Mm -hmm. free and it just brings such joy to me to just Mm -hmm. be with animals. Mm -hmm. Like I understand animals more than I can understand humans sometimes, but (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we all struggle with that. That's okay. Yeah. But I, I make it to MSU campus quite mm-hmm. often. I feed the geese and mm-hmm. uh, I take peanuts there and I feed them. So okay. I was just there over the I weekend. didn't know that geese ate peanuts. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Take it right out of your hand. I, I'm sure they would take many things out of my hand. I feel like they're just usually like aggressive. So I just stay away. But right. I, I didn't know that they like peanuts. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, talk to me about the psych class. What do you. I just like how the mind works. Okay. And how people. Um, how they um, compute information mm-hmm. and how you might do it differently than somebody else or they view the world differently than you. And it's just a, it's a give and take mm-hmm. that I, I actually, I love. It's, okay. It's, I love how the mind works. Do you think, what is it about the mind working? Is it for you to be able to understand others? Is it you understanding maybe yourself? Cause I feel like sometimes I read stuff and I go, it only, and again, I'm not relating science and like fake things, but it almost sometimes reads like a horoscope where like you read something that you've never come across before and you're like, oh crap, I do that. Like that's me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Which is it for you? Other people, yourself? Like, it's actually just a, a different perspective. Okay. It might get me to think in a different way, which mm-hmm. sometimes my brain gets firing too fast sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I, I love meeting, having that connection with somebody like, hey, you ever think about thinking about it this way, you know, it's, so it's mm-hmm. a, them challenging you mm-hmm. and then you challenging them in return. So it's, I like that. You find it rewarding. Oh, definitely. Like a sense of joy. I get a sense of just, yeah, it's definitely, especially if you can have somebody smile or open up their eyes and that's a great feeling. And if we might not like it right at first, but <laughs> right. I, I do like it like overall mm-hmm. in the long run. When you say like, oh, I was looking at that and like, I don't know, maybe I might change. Like, do you have a potential of what you'd be interested in doing with that? Because um, 
you know, that could be like counseling. That could be like, like there's so many things, right. That that could be like, I have no idea. Um, did you have a thought Psychologist probably. Okay. Um, I don't know how many times I've had people tell me I need to be like a motivational speaker or something down that line. I've had countless of people tell me that. Okay. What? I don't know if I want to do that or not. But yeah, sure. Sure. It's okay. It's all a waiting game. Okay. Why do people tell you that? I think it's just cause I'm, I can talk well with people. Like sure. I just had a, at church yesterday, I just had a kid come up to me and he says, mm-hmm. well, you speak well in front of people. So I, feel like I'm dying inside sometimes though when I'm like, cause if I don't do my grounding techniques, sure. My okay. anxiety will get the best of me. Mm. So curling my toes in my shoes is a big grounding technique for me. Mm-hmm. I'm actually doing it right now. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you ever find that surprising? Because if you're having to, you know, ground yourself and like go through these techniques that totally work for you and work for many people, right. You're backed by science. Um, do you think it's ever curious or interesting when people are like, you speak really good in front of people and you're like, you have no idea like how fast my heart and like my mind's running a mile a minute. Like, do you find that surprising? Uh, yeah. When they can, when they can see me not dying inside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome Mm -hmm. because then it makes me like, you know what? Then I can like, when I catch myself not grounding myself or Mm. uh, feelings get too high, Mm -hmm. I usually pause and have to, regather myself and it's slow breathing mm. good techniques overall i think yeah yeah um over a lifetime learned them so <laughs> and i mean i feel like that lifetime experience really does help the amount of times that like because i've done public speaking or for this job or other things like that um and people say like oh like you're really good at that or whatever and i go that feeling of it being discomfort, right. And doing it, even if it's like in just your communication one-on-one class, right. That feeling never goes away. I feel like you just get better at like, yep, this is what this is, right? Like it's like tying your shoes or like wash the dishes. Like the first time you're like, I don't, how do I do this? And then like, Oh, I figured it out. And you just keep getting better at it. I don't think it's necessarily, I mean, sometimes I feel like I get enjoyment out of it, but do you get something out of it when you do speak in front of people or is it? Um, it's not usually when it's happening. Sure. It's usually afterwards and mm. then it all hits me like, cause then I, I pick apart what I said, mm-hmm. like down to, I got OCD when it comes to writing stuff or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. gotta, it's gotta sound perfect mm-hmm. when I read it out loud. Mm. Cause if it don't, then it's just crazy in my head feeling. Gotcha. So it doesn't line up with maybe like, what you're feeling versus right. what you're saying. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Um, so besides psych, what other classes are you like feeling with? Or like, did you maybe realize that like, Oh, I hate that. And then now that you're in it, you're like, Hmm, this isn't the worst. Like maybe it was a challenge. Cause you've definitely viewed some things of that. I think other people would put in their way and be like, I can't do that. Um, or I've come from this. So I can't do that. Um, but it seems that you've reframed stuff of like how to view obstacles as a challenge. Cause people like challenges. We don't hate like work and other things like that. Right. But. So I was on a communication, communicate, uh, excuse me, mm-hmm. communications class over the summer. That was probably the most challenging class I've had so far. Just cause it was during the summer, you got shortened weeks. 
But on top of that, it was learning to deal with communication. I didn't know there was that many forms of communication. And you can name them all right now if I ask her. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> it just went by yeah, too course. fast. No, I, very little material stuck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was a little little weary of that class, mm-hmm. but I pulled a 3.5 in it. So Heck yeah, man. Nice. Yeah. So after you're in it, though, you're like, oh, I can totally do this. Even though summer classes do move a little faster for people, right? Um, was there like a point? in it where you're like, Oh, I got this. Or was it just you gaining traction doing one foot at a time thing? It It was definitely taking the material one step at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, that was definitely not easy to, to be able to write analytically. Mm -hmm. That is a whole art in itself. Um, I didn't really quite write analytically in that class, but sure. It was a learning stone. So, so hopefully my next, next writing class, I'll be able to do a little bit better. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, how do you think you prioritized yourself as a student? So you had all these different points where you're like, I'm going to choose me, right? I'm going to choose the long road that's going to be more rewarding than something short. How did you go about trying to prioritize you being a student and like putting that first because you could have chose, well, I'll just find a job and just go back to work and do other things. But you're like, in the long term, I want to do this career, but I need to do the education first. So like viewing that long term goal, how did you prioritize yourself with that? So uh, I'm bouncing around to different jobs. Mm-hmm. I know I, I get into a job and I learn it. I mm-hmm. lose focus in it. I lose interest in it so fast. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, career, that's that's lifelong. You can take that with you in any state, anywhere you want to go. So that was the the prioritizing. Plus, all my friends were, like, bouncing around to different jobs. And it's just they didn't look happy. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I got to try something different. So here I am at college. Has that been hard for you having people that, like, are not here? Uh, so friends or loved ones or other people that you're connected with that don't go here? for them to maybe like grasp and understand like what you're doing maybe. So it's uh it's definitely hard because I don't get to see them mm. cause I have to, I'm focused. Yeah. Of course. And my social life, it's, I don't have one. It's non-existent right now, Okay. but I have goals. So mm-hmm. it'll come later on in life. Just not right now, Okay. but I do keep in touch with them. Okay. So you are keeping in touch and stuff, but it is because you are working here and then like how many credits are you in right now? I'm only taking eight. Right okay. Now. Okay. Just because I I knew the math class was going to be so extensive. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know it until <laughs> got into it now. But it, it is so much work involved right. in that, and it eats up a lot of my time. And you're going to tutoring or just spending a lot of time working on that and stuff, though. Yeah. Even when I go to tutoring, it still takes me a while to figure it out. Sure. Of course. So it, I usually just try to figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And it, each section probably takes me two two and a half hours online to to finish each section. Sure. So it takes me all week to get the homework done. Okay. But I want to be able to grasp it, not just rush through it Mm. or have somebody tell me the answer. Okay. That's not what I want. Well, and I think having that understanding for you to move forward will be like, that's how you're viewing it, right? Is you're learning a skill or a trade and thing, not I'm just doing a check mark and maybe like the communications class that was more of a check mark moving Mm. forward, which is okay. Right. Right. And, um, my undergrad was in like communication and broadcasting. So I'm not like 
you know, to each their own of what things totally mean. Could I name all those communication styles? Absolutely not. I couldn't remember any of them right now. Um, so what is something you're proud of as a student? Carrying a three, five after not being in college for 15 years. That is huge. Yeah. Like I was, I was really worried about, cause I was, it was during COVID where, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of it was online mm-hmm. and online real time. I'm like, I don't even know what, what this even consists of. Right. So my physiology class was all online and that was difficult having that kind of material, just being online. Mm-hmm. So if I ever had another science class, I would love to do it in person. Okay. So what would you tell first semester self you knowing what you know now? Like Talk when to you your first success time. coach and get, <laughs> get better time management. Okay. That is something that I struggle with still. Okay. And I don't reach out to my success coach as much as I should, but <laughs> I feel like you indirectly touch base with all of us individually when we're in our, right. um, and we're in the office and whatnot. Um, do you feel, and so I sit on the one side of the table, right? Being a success coach and you being a student. So I see what I think I like I'm picking up a pattern of things working with students more often than not. I don't think the work is not too hard or for people to understand it. It might take them a amount of time, right? Working on math and stuff. I'd probably be the same way. I'd have to spend a lot of time to really understand the concepts right? because those things just don't click for me. Um, like it does for other people. Do you think it is more so time management or actually how hard classes are that maybe would prevent you or others from like, you know, having a three, five or like other things. Do you think it, the time management is that heavy of a weight? I believe it, it's definitely uh helpful because mm-hmm. instead of, you know, waiting all week to get jam pack your whole homework and mm-hmm. uh, getting it done in one night, mm-hmm. do it little increments throughout the week. And it seems to be going better for me now that I'm doing it that way. So I'm able to get and have one day off for mm-hmm. just for myself. Mm-hmm. And I usually take Saturdays off for myself and then, get right back at it again Sunday. Plus I'm also a brain where if it, if I don't see it often, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, I lose it. Gotcha. And that muscle memory for sure. Right. What would you tell others thinking about starting at college um, or coming back after some time like you did? What would you tell them um, if they're like, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know if I have the time. Right. Because people have families, a bunch of other stuff going on, working full time or other things. What would you tell them if they were like thinking about it and being like, I just I'm not sure if this is for me. What would you maybe end up telling them? Hmm. That's a good question. (laughs) So for me, I have to tell myself I am not my GPA. Mm. Um, That is that is huge Mm because I I lose focus sometimes when I see my grades dipping a little bit. Mm. I start to lose focus. And then nasty thoughts creep up saying, mm-hmm. well, maybe you can't do this. But then I really step outside myself. I'm like, yes, you can do this. You just might need a break right now. Mm-hmm. And learning to, learning to take breaks is another big one. Mm-hmm. And if you're first coming into college, don't jump into it like I did and take, <laughs> especially after being off for 15 mm-hmm. years, I jumped in and took three classes right off the bat. Okay. That was stressful. Okay. But I like the structure of it. Mm. So that's why I'm coming back again for another semester. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
do you think the structure of just like classes or just you managing your time has like helped you to be successful? And what is it about the structure that really like works for you? You know? So it's definitely, um, had one good writing Had my first writing teacher. She really helped me like focus and slowing down mm. and really, uh, say what you mean, but in, in, in shorter sentences, because mm-hmm. I get wordy sometimes. Sure. So for me is, uh, it's definitely the time management part. Um, and the slowing down because mm-hmm. my brain gets, it gets going mm-hmm. and I don't know how to stop it sometimes. So, and then that also helps exercise in my brain mm-hmm. actually makes me tired mm-hmm. to want to lay down at night and then mm-hmm. get right to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, and cause I'm not a big sleeper, Sure. but being in college, yeah, working out my brain, <laughs> yeah, I get sleep now. Yeah. Yeah. I also see you hitting the gym and stuff like uh, after work usually, right? Right after work. Okay. Um, that's something that helps me decompress. Mm-hmm. And then I usually sit out by the river about an hour okay. and then it really makes me decompress. <laughs> <laughs> so you use the gym here at LCC? Here at LCC. Okay, cool. Got it, got it for a lifetime. So. Okay. There you go. That's right. Uh, what would be advice that you'd tell someone that is maybe struggling of, I'm not sure if this is for me. I'm not sure if college is for me. You know, maybe they're having some of those like bad or self negative self-talk of like, I don't know if this is for me. Cause we're at the point in the semester where, yeah, we're past certain things, but maybe the first big test is coming in the first, you know, big assignment. You're, you're grinning being like, yep, I have a few of those starting right now. Right. <laughs> uh, what would you maybe tell someone being like, I don't know if I can do this or I don't know if I should or whatnot. Cause you're committed to this and I can tell from the way that your GPA and what you want to do with your life and all those things. What would you try to tell someone to like help pull them along for the rest of the semester? And Reach stuff? out. There's so many resources here that will help you. Mm-hmm. And with the tutors over there in the learning commons or here in the learning commons yeah. is the best. Mm-hmm. I had, I had great tutors in my spring semester I didn't really reach out in the summer because mm-hmm. I kind of just thought I could handle that one myself, but <laughs> <laughs> should have reached out for that one. And then sure. now I get tutored on my math as okay. well right now. Okay. And I just got a email on the psychology tutor. So mm-hmm. I might have to reach out for that too. Just a, another perspective. Mm-hmm. Again, they, they might see something that I don't. And then mm-hmm. it opens up my eyes and knowledge is great. <laughs> So you feel this support network really helps like cement your success moving forward? Oh, absolutely. And now I'm at an age where I don't, I don't mind saying I need help. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When did that change for you? Do you think it did at some point or have you always been someone that's like, yeah, I want to hear what people have to say or. No, I've always been, like I said to myself and I can do it myself. I Mm -hmm. don't need no help kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, there's certain things you need help at and. Mm -hmm. Or at least I do. Mm-hmm. So I, I reach out, especially if I feel like I'm drowning. No, help, help. Where do I turn? Sure. And I work in a department where they can point me in any direction. <laughs> it's like, here, you can go get help here. Yeah. So, the people are just sitting 10 feet from you. Right. Would help and, stuff. <laughs> and most of the time they get my answered, my uh, questions answered right there in the spot. So that's awesome. Yeah. Anything you want to leave us with where you, how you're feeling or. Just enjoy your time here at LCC because mm-hmm. it's going to be over within a blink. I'm already in my third semester and it feels like I just started. So 
it's going to be over really, really fast. So I'm going to enjoy every moment here. Cool. Well, we look forward to hearing about all the successes and things that you're going to accomplish and move forward. So thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to the success scenario. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime online at lccconnect.org. The success scenario is a program dedicated to inspiring students towards a path of success. I'm Dustin Abrego, and if you're a current LCC student with a great story to share or know someone with a story to share, connect with me on Twitter or at LinkedIn at Dustin Abrego, A-B-R-E-G-O. Until next time, success starts with you. Examining the issues and topics that affect our lives from the local level to the world stage. Listen to the programs of LCC Connect anytime at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason Public School students. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online. For like a year, she couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash you belong. Hi, I'm Lisa Alexander, and I host a show called Who's That Star on LCC Connect. This show is all about an inside look at the LCC community where you get a chance to meet our faculty and staff, plus learn about their passion projects at work and at home. You can catch Who's That Star here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org.
LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seawick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. In this episode of Land Stories, we continue our look into the olden days of Lansing baseball. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to our previous episode, I would encourage you to go back and do so as we are looking at the days of yore in Lansing, Michigan with professional baseball. And the Lansing Lugnuts are the professional baseball team that currently play in the city of Lansing. And that is an organization that has its presence in Lansing dating back to the mid-1990s, with 1996 being the first year that the Lansing Lugnuts played. The Lugnuts are affiliated with the Oakland Athletics. They've had uh, other affiliations as well, and the way affiliation works in baseball, for those of you that aren't uh, aficionados of the sport and all of its uh, seemingly strange ways of terminology and how teams are organized, the current system of minor league baseball in the United States has an association or an affiliation that many teams have in a formal structure with Major League Baseball. So the Detroit Tigers, for example, have a double-A affiliate, triple-A affiliate, single-A affiliate, oftentimes more than one actually, playing within one of those A distinctions, which is the tiered uh, system of minor league baseball, triple-A being the highest, and then going down to double-A, and then single-A, and within single-A, there's high-A and low-A, and then the rookie leagues, as they're called, which is sort of the initial starting point in the tiered uh, system of minor league baseball. Affiliation refers to a minor league team having a formal tie to a major league team. So in the case of the Lansing Lugnuts, being affiliated with the Oakland Athletics means that the players that play on the Lugnuts team currently are in the Oakland A's pipeline to the major leagues, meaning if a player in the Lansing Lugnuts continues to show that he is potentially of major league caliber or at least of good enough talent to advance to the next level, he will continue to do so and move up through the different minor league affiliated teams within the Oakland Athletics, the Lugnuts being the high A affiliate, and maybe eventually one day end up playing for the Major League team. And there have been several baseball players that have played through the Lugnuts through the years that have played or have gone on to play in the Major Leagues. The Toronto Blue Jays were the previous Major League affiliate that the Lansing Lugnuts were associated with. And so there are several players through the years that have ended up playing for the Toronto Blue Jays that at one time stepped up to the plate here in Lansing. Now, this episode, though, will not, beyond that, discuss the Lansing Lugnuts. We're actually going to go back and continue looking at the history of, or the story behind, baseball in Lansing during the uh, long-ago era of the sport, and that is the early 1900s that we're focusing on here. And the team that uh, we've been talking about, or considering the most, is a team that was called the Lansing Senators. 
And the Lansing Senators played several seasons between 1889 and all the way up to 1941. The league that they played in had several iterations. It was called the Michigan State League for several years. And then that league ultimately disbanded at one point, formed again, called itself the Southern Michigan League, and then it uh, itself broke up, and the Senators ultimately played in the leagues, a couple leagues that followed, actually, including the Central League, and then the Michigan State League, finally, in the early 1940s. So all in all, the Senators played from 1889 to 1890 and 1895. They played a season in 1897, and then they played another season in 1902, and then had a stretch from 1907 moved actually in the middle of the 1914 season to Mount Clemens. Mount Clemens is over in uh, Macomb County, away from Lansing, and then the team ended up coming back to Lansing, and in 1921 and 1922 played their seasons as part of the Central League. An attempt in 1940 and 41 um, to organize another League, the Michigan State League, uh, culminated in 1941 with a season, and the city team, the Lansing Senators, played that season. The 1941 is the year that that iteration of the Michigan State League and the ultimate fate of the Lansing Senators is decided not by matters related to baseball, but because of the U.S.'s entrance into World War II. And so for a on-again, off-again period of time, the first 40 years of the 20th century and dating back into the latter part of the 19th century, the Lansing Senators had a presence as Lansing's professional baseball team playing in the minor leagues. What happens after that is, uh, or and even during that, is equally as interesting. And in the last episode of Land Stories, one of the things that I discussed was the cultural and social background of the game of baseball. And that's going to enter into the story of Lansing Baseball again in this episode of Land Stories, or this part two of our olden days of Lansing Baseball episode. And the sport of baseball is one that is absolutely ingrained within the very fabric of American culture as it uh, develops and grows, and especially as the United States becomes an urban and a suburban society. And that development, away from being a, a country that most people were farmers in, which was the case in the United States until before the Civil War, to a country where there was a very mixed economy of farmers and then eventually factory workers and office workers and retail workers, that transformation of the American economy away from being one almost entirely dependent upon agriculture uh, to one that undergoes the Industrial Revolution 
and creates a society full of factory workers and office workers and retail workers and all the economic roles that is part and parcel to urbanization of the society and the social changes that come with that baseball develops side by side all of that and so the sport of baseball as i proposed in the previous episode one that is a playing out on the field in artistic form in many ways uh, the roles of society american culture as it's developing at the time and so baseball players play in city parks the city park movement was a very important part of the urbanization of the united states urban reformers as they were called city planners folks all around the united states looked at the development of american cities and they said it would be healthy and helpful for the benefit of everybody who lived in cities if there were parks places that people could have a recreation time fresh air enjoying the outdoors and and the thought or the idea of needing such recreational places was really not even in the mindset of most in the pre-civil war era because most people well they worked on farms and so they lived outdoors most of the day and the idea of recreation as being a way to get physical activity and exercise outdoors was something that again would have just been anathema on the mind of most people because it was entirely not thought of as something that people needed they worked outdoors all day uh, doing hard physical labor on a farm and therefore you need to exercise outdoors to keep your body in good shape well by the time we get to the early 1900s many americans have moved into cities and there becomes a mindset or or realization that a lot of americans don't get any exercise anymore or very little compared to what they once did and this created an alarm amongst well every uh, order of society including right up to the president of the united states and theodore roosevelt teddy roosevelt as he's better known to history actually plays a really important part in this teddy roosevelt was a huge fan of sports not only baseball but especially football the version of football that is played in north america which is very different than the sport the rest of the world calls football that we here uh, in this side of the Atlantic called soccer but the development of football is a story that we'll cover in another day here on land stories and and we are going to do a future episode looking at the sport of football in Lansing and East Lansing in this area as a whole and yes that is going to involve considering the team that plays in East Lansing that would be the Michigan State University Spartans but for now Teddy Roosevelt comes into the picture in the sense that he one of the things he did as president is he was very public in encouraging Americans to become fit physical fitness is one of the key initiatives that Teddy Roosevelt had in his role as being sort of the cheerleader-in-chief the uh, president who and more than anybody up to that point Teddy Roosevelt certainly was a public figure who rather than simply or maybe not so simply making his mark on society through legislation Teddy Roosevelt understood that society at that point had presented itself with the opportunity of 
leaders persuading people by giving grand announcements and grand speeches and therefore advocating for something. So nowadays we may call this being an advocate or community organizer or having a cause that one stands up for and speaks out against in public. Back then, it was known as a great endeavor that a person like Teddy Roosevelt would give primarily through public speaking. And Roosevelt was a master at public speaking. So one of the things that Roosevelt encouraged Americans to do was to go outdoors, to exercise, and to get fit. And the public municipal park movement that is developing in the United States at this time is part and parcel to that. And baseball, therefore, has yet another role to play in these important developments in American culture. We have talked about the Lansing Senators as a professional baseball team that has its start in Lansing at the very end of the 1800s. That would be the 19th century. And has several iterations, plays several seasons throughout the first decades of the 1900s. That would be the 20th century. However, the Senators were not the only baseball team, nor were the various leagues that the Senators played in through their years the only organized baseball associations that had an impact on Lansing or other cities in Michigan, for that matter. And in 1928, the Lansing Baseball Federation formed as part of the Lansing Athletic Federation. And athletic federations such as that in Lansing were groups that existed that tried to form organized sports. So organized sporting events that people could participate in who weren't professionals. Most of them were amateur athletics. Athletic organizations that formed community basketball leagues, for example. Basketball is starting to become a popular sport at this time period. Baseball as well. And because, as we all know by now, baseball was an extremely popular sport in the United States at this time period, many cities such as Lansing started to have baseball leagues pop up, baseball leagues that were organized by and very much sponsored by companies or organizations. And the players who played for these teams were the workers who worked at these companies or organizations. And these became known as city leagues because they were organized at the city level and primarily uh, consisted of teams and players who were from companies or organizations that existed in the city in which the city league was formed. So in Michigan, many cities had uh, city leagues. Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, Flint, Saginaw, and many other cities I haven't named, and certainly in including Lansing. And so the organization of the Lansing Baseball Federation started in 1928 was exactly this. It was an organization of companies and other organizations that came together to field teams, to organize a schedule, to organize a league, including a location that the city league teams could play their games at. And the Lansing Baseball Federation, therefore, is part of this overall movement of leisure and recreational activities being encouraged amongst the population. 
City Leagues also had another component of the organization, and that was that because these were leagues that were sponsored by, in fact, organized by companies encouraging their workers to play on the teams, they became a form of worker loyalty, and meaning a company believed it could gain some type of a loyalty or a commitment to working for that company by having its workers play in the company baseball team. At the outset, this statement may seem a little bit maybe um, like, well, you know, what's the big deal? Why would somebody want to keep working for a company just to play for the baseball team? But in, at the time period, this actually could be a major motivating factor um, because people really enjoyed playing baseball. And some of the men who played for these city league teams were really, really good. And in fact, the participation in these city leagues provided a great degree of enjoyment and personal enrichment and satisfaction out of life. And at the time period, uh, industrial labor, and that's to say not only working in a factory, but the other forms of work that existed at the time involved some pretty, uh, well, shall we say, tough working conditions. People worked long days back then. The eight-hour workday had certainly made its way into some industries, but not others at the time. So there were still places where people worked 9, 10, 11, 12-hour workdays. And wages in the 1920s weren't nearly as high as they would be after World War II when labor unions come into great prominence and a booming economy and a shortage of workers uh, all these three things combine to give a dramatic increase in wages compared to what they had been in years prior. That That's off into the future. In the 1920s, wages were still, uh, relatively speaking, low compared to what they would be in the future. So work life was hard. And giving workers an outlet, a leisurely activity to partake in, that was in many ways much, much more enjoyable than the job itself, was a way for companies to, well, get people to come work for them. And it appeared to work. City leagues were very, very, very popular around the United States. And the first companies that fielded teams that were part of, therefore, this initial 1928 organization of the Lansing City League, which is known as the Lansing Baseball Federation at the time, included Novo Engine, Michigan Screw, Arbaugh's, which was a big department store in Lansing. For you Lansing history aficionados, you know that the Arbaugh's department store building is still there. It's a Now it's a red brick uh, colored building that stands at the corner of Kalamazoo Street and Michigan Avenue right in downtown Lansing. That would be the southeast corner of Kalamazoo Street and Michigan Avenue. And it's actually right next door to the AFL-CIO hall here in Lansing. And Arbaugh's was one of the major retail stores that had developed in, at the time period. So they fielded a team or, or were part of this initial Lansing Baseball Federation organization, as was the QP Hotel, Best Radiator, and Atlas Drop Forge. And so many of those companies are, even though on that initial organization there was only six teams but 
nonetheless, many of those give us a uh, sense. Well, they all give us a sense of what the economy uh, looked like and where people worked at the time. And that's, in, in my mind anyways, one of the always fascinating things to consider about uh, city leaks is the fact that when you look at a city like Lansing at this time period and you consider who uh, the teams were that were playing in these leagues, you get a sense of what the economy of the area looked like at the time and what people did for a living. And baseball becomes a very important part of that working world. There were other organizations and companies that ended up eventually fielding their own city league teams, including the uh, postal workers and the police and fire departments here in the city of Lansing. And one of the more interesting aspects of city league baseball, not only here in Lansing, but in other places as well, was this formation of these teams that became known as barnstorming teams. And these were essentially semi-pro traveling teams that some of which made quite a name for themselves. And the term semi-pro is what came to be used to describe the uh, level of play for the City League team. Semi-pro because the players were kind of professional, but not really. They were professional in the sense that in playing for a City League team, they were paid employees of the team because the team was fielded by the companies that sponsored them. But their pay wasn't really for playing baseball independent of being hired by and they're both for employed by uh, the company or the organization that sponsored the team. So that's why they're called semi-pro. But these teams were extremely popular in the city leagues that sprang up all around the United States. And oftentimes they would play these barnstorming teams. And the term barnstorming was a term that dates back to this time period, talking the 1920s, where it was a, a term that was given to something that would travel making quick, fantastic presence, uh, presentation around the country. And the barnstorming teams did exactly this, and they would travel from city to city playing local teams. One of the very popular barnstorming teams that came to Lansing and played from time to time, that came to a lot of other cities in Michigan too, was a team from a religious commune called the House of David. House of David has a, a fascinating story to it. It was what, uh, what we nowadays would probably call a religious commune. A community that was set up in sort of an ideal way of living according to the religious beliefs of its founders. And the House of David has its home in Benton Harbor. Their baseball team was well known because of the way that the, uh, the men appeared. And that is they all wore very long beards. And that was part of their religious belief system, actually why they wore their hair that way, but their their long beards were an absolute telltale recognizable uh, feature of their appearance on the baseball diamond, as well as in other aspects of public life. And, and the House of David stars traveled around and played various city league teams, including here in Lansing, where they made their presence known. And the City leagues in Lansing initially played 
In a location that I discussed in the previous episode, Municipal Park, which was a park that was on East Michigan Avenue, about a mile, mile and a half from the Michigan State Capitol building. The city leagues played in other locations around the city too, including a baseball field that Durant Motors had built for their employees and at a the Michigan Vocational School for Boys, which was started as a uh, reform school actually for troubled youth that no longer exists in Lansing, but it did at the time. And, and other locations around the city as well, including many that I had mentioned in the previous episode. So go ahead and check that episode out if you're looking for more information on where some of these teams played. So the sport of baseball in Lansing has existed before World War II is uh, very much a look into the cultural development of a city such as Lansing. And that is one of the truly fascinating things about examining how baseball, how baseball became part of American culture and American society in these formidable years of the nation's development. 1941 is the really the, the uh, stopping point of what I would call the olden days of Lansing baseball, and that would be because of, of course, World War II. The United States enters the Second World War at the end of 1941, having already been uh, involved in the armament of the nations that would become American allies during the war. But after the U.S. enters the war at the end of 1941, the uh, availability of young men to field baseball teams or the availability of any worker to have the spare time or the companies to have the spare resources to field baseball teams is put on hold due to the demands of the Second World War. The city leagues come back and professional baseball also eventually comes back to Lansing. For now, that is going to conclude our look at this era of Lansing baseball. Heard something that you want to learn more about on the show? Heard something that you think, hey, actually, I've got a slightly different version of that story, and I want to let you know about it. Or any other thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, drop me a message. You can find my contact details, along with details of all of the other programming and hosts we have on the LCC Connect series at lccconnect.org. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seawick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College.
To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.